You're listening to Red Nation Online. You're listening to the Paul James on Soccer Podcast. Commentary and analysis by Paul James, former Canadian soccer player, television analyst, coach, and member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Well, here we are with another episode of Paul James on Soccer, and it was an exciting week for Canada's professional teams. Let's start off by getting your thoughts on the completion of the first round of the Neutralite Canadian Championship. Toronto FC won their home leg of their series 1-0 after pretty much finishing off the series with their 3-0 victory over FC Edmonton last week. And Vancouver very narrowly eliminated Montreal, with a very close Ali Jurba miss being all that stood between the impact moving on to the next round. What are your thoughts on the Vancouver-Montreal match? Yes, I think the, uh, the game of that particular round, uh, the second leg, was certainly the Vancouver game. Against Montreal, Steve, I mean, it was uh, it was terrific from an excitement standpoint. Uh, I thought Montreal were very physical. They were uh, better than they were the previous week. Um, and they'd obviously had the uh, result against Edmonton as well, the 5-0 defeat of them. And uh, they had great momentum going in. But they showed good character. You know, uh, DeSantos there, the, uh, the coach has uh, done a good job in, uh, in terms of preparing them. It's too bad that Ali Gerber didn't, uh, didn't finish that off. That would have been a fantastic uh, result for, for Montreal. But uh, at the end of the day, I still think, and I agree with uh, Tater Thorson at uh, the post-game, that um, they won the first game in Montreal where they were the better team. Overall, the second leg was probably even, so at the end of the day, the best team went through. Um, you know, even though it was, uh, it was by a whisker. It's interesting, too, with Vancouver, they've um, tightened things up defensively. You know, but um, if ever there's, um, there's an indication with Vancouver in their past two results, the one we're going to talk about in a minute against Chicago, is the fact that, you know, I, I think what's appearing now after uh, half a dozen games or close to 10 games, that they're, uh, they're going to lack a little bit of depth because he started to push numbers forward, you know, in the overtime. And as soon as they push numbers forward, they're, they're, they're vulnerable at the back. Um, so where they tighten things up defensively in, in terms of their shape and what they've done, they then, you know, forfeit it if they try to push numbers forward to get more scoring opportunities. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't as a coach. And it really is an indication that they, uh, they, they probably lack a little bit of quality in uh, certain areas, whether it's at the back or in midfield or up front. But, um, you know, overall, that was a terrific game. The TFC game, I thought, was a little bit uh, lethargic. Uh, TFC did what they had to do. Edmonton were a little bit gun-shy after their previous two uh, two games, losing 5-0 and 3-0 to uh, TFC themselves. So they certainly tightened up uh, defensively. They, uh, they they weren't as adventurous on the ball, and they were sort of, uh, you could see they were so tentative that it was, um, you know, they, they showed their inexperience there. But uh, overall, I think they will be quite, uh, you know, happy uh, if there is such a thing as losing a game, but they will be uh, happier with that performance in Toronto, uh, you know, losing 1-0. And for Toronto FC, it was, um, you know, the one criticism of Toronto FC is the fact that they didn't finish off uh, um, Edmonton. And they showed there that no matter what they, they, they do, you know, for, for the rest of the season, I know we're going to talk about their terrific game now in a minute, but um, in that particular game, they showed that they can't raise the tempo and quality teams with experienced players 
if that was an Argentinian team and they needed to, uh, and they were playing home and they needed to really, you know, finish the opposition off in the first 45 minutes, they would have been, they'd scored another three goals. And TFC really should have that quality to do it, but they couldn't. And they couldn't raise the tempo. You know, the tempo when you're in possession of the ball, you know, when you really want to go after teams, you need to play fast-paced. And, uh, and they couldn't. It was a little bit too slow and a little bit too lethargic. But nevertheless, two, uh, you know, the uh, two top teams, I suppose, who were playing in the MLS have got through. So that's going to be an exciting final. There's no doubt about it. So looking ahead to the final between Toronto and Vancouver, you've been watching both teams very closely. And I'm wondering if you would care to make a prediction as to which team you think will win the Canadian Championship this year. Well, I mean, if you go based on uh, on really current form, which is the last game, I would go with TFC, believe it or not. Um, you know, they uh, they looked terrific uh, in their last game, uh, much better. But, um, you know, I, I think it'll be close to call. If you go on the first game, it's obviously Vancouver. But uh, it's a tight one. But I will go with, uh, with TFC over the two legs. I've got a... I can feel it in, in, in my water or in my blood so to speak. So um, I will go with TFC if you're pushing me, Steve. Moving on to the MLS, Toronto continued their Jekyll and Hyde act with a very impressive home victory, their second win of the season, over Houston, following a very disheartening league loss to Seattle the previous week. What are your thoughts on Toronto's performance? Uh, I thought it was I, I thought it was very good. I thought it was good. It was a great reaction, and um, everybody's talking about uh, Platter, and there's no doubt that, uh, you know, he's uh, an exciting player, he's young and still an experience, but he's exciting because he's got pace. But I tell you, the best uh, the best performance there from from TFC was the coach, you know, Aaron Vinter. I think that when you rebound in that kind of, from that kind of performance in Seattle, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when you rebound from that kind of performance in Seattle and, and produce against a difficult team, Houston, Houston are in, in, in sort of a, they regrouping after a couple of years. And uh, they got off to a good start, but they had a tough loss midweek against Colorado. So they were fired up to get a result. And uh, TFC did an excellent job. And when you change five players in the way that Vinter did, and it has that kind of impact and influence, you know, you've got to hand it to your coach that uh, he's, he's, uh, he's on top of his game there. He really knows his stuff. And there's a reason that he's played over 80 times for Holland. And it's because he's got character himself. He's got uh, great understanding of what he wants as a coach and i think that uh you know he's very cleverly you know playing playing his cards well with squad of players that he's got he believes in the players that he's brought in but everybody now if they weren't before this game everybody is on hot calls with him meaning you don't know from one session to the next who's playing from one game to the next if you play well great you play again you, you know you should be in the starting lineup but when you come in the changing room you know, the day before we announce our lineup, don't expect to be in it unless you've uh, played well. And I think that's obviously the modus operandi of, of part of what he goes, part of what his coaching philosophy is. And that was absolutely apparent. You know, you make five changes from the Seattle game. And, uh, you know, Javier uh, Martino is not even dressed. You know, it's a great indication there that he really, you know, sets his stall out early as a coach. And, um, and look at the, uh, the impact it has. Now, it wasn't just because of that. I, I, I think that, you know, when you go in, it's, it's similar to university programs. This is not normal what's going on at TFC, let's be honest. I mean, it's been chaos that we talked about for the first four or five years. But what's going on with, with TFC is similar to what happens with, with university programs, whether in the NCA or in Canada. You know, you have a group of players and they're cycled, you know, for four years. And 
every once in a while you lose. Every once in a while you use a, 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 have a season where you lose about five or six players and you have to replace them. And it's so difficult then the following year to get your team to perform and still to win. You know, at the level that you might have been before. So what you do is you spend the first part of your season figuring out which players are the best players to play in the slots, to play in your system. And that's what Aaron Vinter is doing, albeit at the professional level. It's clear that's what he's doing. Because with Platter, you know, if you, if we, if you would have known that, if we would have thought that as fans, we would have been, you know, shouting for him back in uh, the beginning of the season. But you don't know until you eventually get the chance. And the chance only comes when it's right and the timing's right, which it has been now. And then he proves that he's, uh, he can have an impact at the MLS level or at least, you know, uh, you know, contribute this season in a positive way. And then the same with the Sulzmer up front. You know, what I like about TFC with that particular lineup that they got, they got pace. And you've got pace in different areas. You know, even Eccleslie uh, at uh, right fullback, who looked comfortable. He's still, to me, a manufactured English-type player, but he's a, he's a decent one. He did some great defending uh, plays, defensive plays. But going forward, he's a threat. You know, he just needs to time them right. You know, he just needs to not make himself vulnerable defensively and to pick the moments to go forward. But he's a threat, and he's a threat because of his pace. And when you have that, and that's what Platter has, Suzma up front was a handful because of his pace, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you find your opposition beginning to take, they're on their heels a little bit and they're a bit nervous. So, you know, it's not about getting too excited about that performance. I thought it was good. I thought uh, Julian de Guzman, as people have recognized, um, you know, did a decent job for sure. But, um, but overall, it was, it was a great comeback and it was a great character thing. And I, I, I see it, whether the fans do or whether you do, uh, Steve, or the pundits. But you can see the character difference, you know, from, uh, from two years ago. Last year, there was a transition with Preki where he was beginning to work on the, the uh, mentality. But certainly now with, uh, with Aaron Vinter, you can really see that that's a proper, that's a realistic, that's a genuine team spirit and a genuine character group of players that are fighting they're fighting for themselves first of all to make the starting lineup because of the approach that Aaron Vinter's done. Aaron Vinter for me was the uh, was the man of the match the uh, the top person in TFC on the weekend. Uh, Julian de Guzman played much deeper against Houston almost like a fifth defender and the general assessment from the media fans and Julian himself is that he had one of his best games since he's joined TFC what did you think about how he was deployed in particular? And do you think that can be an effective long-term role for him? Yeah, I do. I think that um, based on what I saw on that particular game, I mean, I'm still not sold on him being uh, a defensive-type player. And maybe it's a bit of bias from uh, 10 years ago when, when I would have dealt with him. But, but um, I'm still not sold. But I thought he did a good job in that role. And if he's going to hang in there, then if you know you have to you have to play where the coach plays you have to do that role. So if, if they're trying to fit, you know, make the role for him so he fits in it nicely, then um, then fair enough. And credit where credit's due, and he deserves credit. He did a good job. You know, he was uh, simple and sensible with uh, with his distribution and passes, and uh, you know he defended quite well. But the problem I would have in the long term is is that particularly in the American League, you know, I mean. There's a lot of American coaches that have coached in the collegiate system here, and they're so sophisticated in how they go about it. They're tactically, you know, um, uh, they, they change and they, they note their opposition so thoroughly that they will look to exploit somebody like Julian de Guzman in that position. Once they see that he plays in that deep holding role, you know, they can play uh, somebody off their front two. They can play a hook-type player 
off the uh, off the forwards and uh, and start to run Julian a little bit. So so that's something to be you know a little bit aware of. But uh, overall, again, credit where credit's due. Julian did a good job, and I I think Takani with moving him further forward and encouraging him, you could see it against Edmonton in the way that. You know, Vinter uh, was beginning. That's what I mean about changing roles of players and seeing what they can really do in different, with different assignments. And I think that's the uh, his conclusion right now is to get to Tani to make uh, further, further forward runs. Peterson will is a workhorse and will never let you down. Will go backwards and forwards, upwards and, and back. And I think you know he fits that role right now. So Julian is playing a very specific one. But you know, one 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 game a season doesn't make. And so uh, for Julian, it really is about uh, consistency. And um, you know, I'm happy for him because I can imagine he's been under pressure. And it probably didn't help with the salaries getting released uh, this week either. But it does, again, put that exclamation mark on the fact that now he needs to you know, solidify himself um, you know, as a DP player and play that, that way and better, like even much better than that you know, for, for the rest of the season. The Vancouver Whitecaps got their first road MLS point with a scoreless draw against the Fire in Chicago. I thought the Caps looked pretty sluggish in that one, and I couldn't tell if that was actually by design in terms of wanting to grind out a point on the road or if it was just fatigue from a heavy schedule. With only one league win thus far, what do you think of the result that Vancouver earned on Saturday? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, in the old days uh, of two points and one point, two points for a win and one for a draw, it would have been uh, another good result, you know, and a, and a battling result, a team that's new into the league and uh, and learning their way. But um, when you when you have the three point system, which has been in now for a long time, it's uh, you know it, it, if you keep getting too many ties, you start to fall away, and that's where they're uh, close to the bottom of uh, of the division with a huge gain. You know, on Wednesday against San Jose. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I would say that, that the encouraging part is the fact that, again, as we said against Montreal, defensively they've tightened things up. You know, they were they were um, conceding goals almost at will. Um, you know, prior to uh, you know to two weeks ago, and now they've tightened that up. But you can see when you tighten things up that way, tactically, and maybe even physically, with uh, the, the demands they put on their players. The defensive demands. It it takes away from your attacking approach, you know, and from the attacking options that you have. And it and what it does is it really it really identifies and magnifies that there's a lack of quality of real quality talent in depth within Vancouver for maybe what the expectations and hopes are of their uh, fantastic fan base that's um, already established. I think that's what's beginning to show through. I don't think it's a coaching issue. I, I, I believe uh, Tater and Dennis Hamlet and Colin Miller, in particular, with his experience, um, you know, for Tater. I, I, I think there's no issues there with the coaching staff. I think they've done an outstanding job. They're still going to be very competitive. There's still a long way to go, but um, but certainly it's going to be um, it's going to be that. I mean, Chicago. I don't think are one of the the, the top teams in the league right now and um, you know Vancouver are trying to grind results and they can't quite get there so you know it's still a long way to go I think they uh, should be upbeat and should be positive you know I think what's interesting for for them is um, you know is getting Hasley you know their DP player has to be I mean they, they could have for as sluggish as they were and I have to say Steve I, I would say it's it's really a fatigue thing you know you play Montreal in midweek and you go extra time 
as opposed to Toronto FC had a relatively straightforward, almost a walk in the park against Edmonton without being too disrespectful to Edmonton there. There was no real pressure, whereas the Vancouver, Montreal, Vancouver were absolutely fatigued. So that was a fatigue thing as opposed to the by design against Chicago. But when Hasley, they could have, they could have nixed that game with Hasley there with that chance and, um, and he couldn't finish it. And I think when, you, when you're in that situation and your expansion team, you need your top-flight players to be you know, full tilt every game. And if you're forward, it means finishing off uh, great chances that you get. Dwayne De Rosario was back in the news this week with respect to a couple of items related to the Canadian men's national team. In a bit of a curious situation, Red Bull's head coach, Hans Bach, told the New York Post that it was his understanding that De Rosario had turned down a national team invite to the Gold Cup. Dwayne himself then contradicted his club coach, saying, I 100% want to play for Canada. I'd definitely like to play for my country this summer. What did you make of these particular turn of events? Yeah, I don't, you know, I think Dwayne talks too much and needs to now focus on his uh, club football. I think that, um, you know, sometimes you just can't, you just can't tell, tell people or tell players or, you know, Mark McCormack wrote uh, a, a great book uh, years ago called Never Wrestle with a Pig. And it's, uh, you know, it's a funny title. It's a metaphor for really, you know, talking about people that you just can't educate. You can't take them out anywhere and say things or encourage them, you know, to do the right thing because they just won't. They just won't listen. And that's because the ego takes over. And I think that's the thing with Dwayne DeVisario. You know, he's trying to make himself or he's trying to be in the media. He's trying to make comments about... Uh, Hoylet, and uh, you know, whichever way you look at it for, for Dwayne, he has to accept that some of the things that he's done over the past 18 months, even even beyond that, you know, haven't been great. And so he needs to focus, in my opinion, on his, his club football. And, and, and I would love to see Stephen Hart come down tough and hard here and, uh, and actually not select uh, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Di Rosario at, at this stage. I think his, his time is up. I think he's, uh, his, his background and some of the things that he and how he's reacted indicate to me that he clearly, clearly is the wrong character to have, no matter whether you're a national team. And, and we, do, we lack depth at the national team, for sure. But it's been proven. Dwayne played for Argentina and didn't do particularly well at all. You know, the players that performed better. The, uh, the best uh, World Cup qualifying performance that we had in, uh, with Dale Mitchell in the last campaign was against Mexico when Dwayne didn't play. I mean, the, all the indications there, the behaviors are there. When I talk about setting standards all the time, you know, it's, uh, it's clear that uh, with Dwayne De Rosario, he is incredibly high maintenance. And, you know, whichever way, you know, cause it's going to go back and forth now. You know, he didn't say it or he did say it or he did or didn't. I mean, the bottom line is, is that when you have a player in that, uh, you know, really it's about himself, talks about those issues, talks about himself. No matter, he's going to switch it, he's going to switch the light, the light switch and say that uh, he wants to play for Canada and everything's with Canada. But, you know, it really is. The proof is in the pudding and the proof is really in, uh, in your actions. And there's some things I think that uh, we are not strong enough or tough enough, whether it's Stephen Hart, whether it's Nick Dasovich, or whether it's even Dale Mitchell, to be fair. You know, the other thing that shines out to me, you know, it's interesting with Dwayne, Dwayne leaving now and Julian de Guzman. Part of the reason that I think Julian de Guzman will do well for, for Toronto FC, and, and I can begin to see the fighter mentality, and even in his facial expressions, it's different, because there's no clique anymore. Whichever way you want to shape it or dice it, it definitely existed. 
and it did with the national team program as well. And if you're a coach, and, and I suppose a lot of people that will listen to this are not coaches, but it is absolutely one-on-one of coaching is that you cannot have cliques within your team and within your system. And, that, and, and you have to get rid of them. And what's happened over the years is that that hasn't happened because we're intimidated, whether it's Dale Mitchell felt that he needed the talent. He needed to break up a few of those, uh, those cliques that he's had in the national team program. And it's, again, going back to Will Johnson, why Will Johnson needs more players like Will Johnson to stand up and to come out and say the, what the real realities are if we want to mature as that nation, soccer nation, and be able to progress and go forward. And for me, Dwayne De Rosario, his time is up. His time has passed him because of his behavior. His behavior and his attitude and the approach that he takes of being so disrespectful to some of the coaches that he's played for, and ironically, mostly Canadian coaches, is that it, it is not acceptable, in my opinion. And Stephen Hart is the national team coach. And you could, and I think Stephen Hart, again, I'll make this point, I think he's doing a good job, and I think he's, to be fair. But Stephen Hart is also very lucky to be in that position. You know, and I came out, and I took a lot of criticism for saying that at the beginning, but I don't change my mind. Stephen Hart had, you know, with, with the under-20, with the under-17, didn't qualify that team once. You know, yet gets the national team program, and that to me, you know, absolutely comes out and, and shouts at you that it's a political appointment. It's a political appointment because it was a player appointment. The players in that of that ilk wanted Stephen Hart to be the coach, so they got their wish. But now it still didn't make a difference. The players still react the same way. So for, for me, Stephen Hart needs to be strong, and I'm supporting Steve. But like whenever you take a national team coaching position, the hourglass is turned and the sand is going through that hourglass. And, and sooner or later, Stephen Hart won't be the World Cup coach one day, and there's going to be a legacy that Stephen Hart is going to leave. And the legacy is not going to be about qualifying. The chances of Canada qualifying for 2014 uh, are still, in my opinion, uh, a, a slim chance. If he does, he's done a fantastic job. But if he wants to do it, he's got to have the right character, full stop, period. You have to. You have no chance otherwise. You know, and if, if you have somebody like Dwayne De Rosario that's such high maintenance, you don't ever know what the story's going to be with Dwayne De Rosario. It is time to move on, period. And Stephen Hart, you know, to get the respect of, let's say, soccer alumni, maybe he doesn't care, but, uh, you know, I'm a soccer alumni as a player, as a coach. Dale Mitchell's a player and a former coach. You know, there's the, the Bruce Wilson's out there. We, we really care about our national team program, and we see what goes on. We don't politic our way through media campaigns on specific things or on specific to get specific jobs or for even for for players that lack the right character but what we do expect as alumni is that we expect that the leader in charge of our program makes tough decisions along the way and i cannot see in any way shape or form what justifies now Dwayne de rosario being part of the national team program and it and yet you know, it continues and we give him a platform and that's that's the way that there is right now with the media. But hopefully Steve will be strong there. And I can tell you this, is that I believe that, that the majority of players in that, uh, in that camp from the national team program will be okay with it. I think they will be empowered by it because they know. And it, it's the one chance that you have also with Julian de Guzman. You have a choice, in my opinion. If you have Julian de Guzman and Dwayne de Rosario on the same team and on the same national program, you're going to start that clique thing again. And it's going, to be, it's going to be a problem. You can't win with cliques. You can't win with people that are separate themselves from the group, uh, either because they think that they're better or because they just want to be friends. They don't want to be friends with everybody else. And that, to me, is glaring. It's a glaring coaching issue that you have to solve, and that's going to be a tough one for... For, um, for Stephen 
heart, but he needs to show that he's uh, that he's tough and solid in that, uh, in that in those decisions. In my opinion, for me, Dwayne De Rosario, if I was national team coach, I would definitely not select him. De Rosario was also quoted at the beginning of May as saying that Blackburn Rovers striker Junior Hoylett, who is eligible to play for Canada but has not yet committed or even really hinted as to which country he might play for at the international level, that Hoylett can become a future star for Canadian football and inspire other young Canadian soccer players. What did you make of Dwayne's comments on that topic? Yeah, it was interesting. And again, I think Dwayne, you, you know, gets himself into trouble when he talks because, uh, you know, to me, reading between the lines, there's, uh, there's a relationship between Hoylett, maybe the Hoylett and, uh, and, and the Rosario families, and they, they, they're talking and they're, they're sort of... Um, Leveraging that it's okay for him to uh, to take his time with his decision, and it, to me, it's not it, it's not okay. We, Stephen Hart, I think, is doing the right thing. I think he's doing a, a good job there. He's leaving the door open. He's communicating right. We have to show that we want Hoyler to be part of it, but not at all costs, you know. And I think some of the commentators, uh, you know, on the fan, I think Bobby Yerushi has uh, come out and said it very strongly, um, and maybe some others uh, have said the same thing. It's not at all costs. You know, definitely not. Go, you know, go play for for another country. But but we want you to play for Canada. Come and play for Canada. Be a hero for us, but with the right character. And I think that that is really important. And I, I just get nervous when Dwayne leverages that again. You know, and again, it's about that clique thing. I mean, if 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 Hoylet was to come in and he's going to be bigger than anybody else, then um, then I would say no. I would say definitely not. And and that's the problem that you have. And the dilemma that you have if you're a national team coach for Canada is to make those tough decisions. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I wasn't enamored, again, by those comments that Sir Dwayne De Rosario said. You know, for me, the reason that Sir Hoylet should play for Canada is because he lives here. He spent most of his, his uh, living time in Canada. His parents live here. There should be a pride and want to play for Canada. If you think that you're going to live in Canada for the rest of your life after you've retired, and let's be honest, it is one of the best countries in the world. And for me, it's the best country. We're very fortunate to live here. So that's the reason that you should play for Canada, period. And, and you should do it with great pride and not worry about that you could get greater status, more money, more playing time by going to play for somebody else. You know, I mean, it's not about that. It's simple. It should be clear-cut. And, um, and hopefully that's the case, but... Uh, but well, I don't think uh, Dwayne helped in any way there. Speaking of players who can be the future of Canadian soccer, one of the big recent stories among Canadian players playing in Europe was Canadian international Simeon Jackson, who scored the game-winning goal in a one nothing victory over Portsmouth that sealed Norwich City's promotion to the English Premier League. Jackson has been on an excellent run of form with Norwich recently, scoring goals regularly, and he'll now join Junior Hoylett in the EPL next season. Ian Clark of Red Nation did an excellent article on Jackson last week in which he highlighted the tenacity that Simeon has shown in making his way from the lower leagues in England all the way up to the league that many consider to be the best in the world. What do you think about his achievements at Norwich and the character that he's shown thus far in his still young career? Yeah, truly, truly fantastic. Like, really. And and you're right, Ian Clark did a a great interview there. I loved it. And, and, you know, again, going from the bottom and earning your spurs there, cutting your teeth, what is an incredibly difficult environment. You know, anyone that's played over in, uh, in, in England at the lower levels, you know, the lower divisions, will, will, can attest how difficult it is from day-to-day training, from the physicality of the games itself. You know, you still get 3,000 people, 5,000, 10,000 people watching the games, and they're still so passionate. If you don't give 110%, they will be all over you. 
they'll even send things in the mail to you, you know, they go overboard for sure. But it's an incredibly tough environment for Simeon Jackson as a Canadian to go over there and to accomplish what he has. There is absolutely no doubt that uh, he's done fantastic. And, and on top of that, for him to, to do that and to actually be scoring goals for Norwich City at the top of the championship, they now go into the premiership. He, he absolutely has uh, an abundance, a suitcase full of talent. There's, uh, there's absolutely no doubt about that. It is a tough, tough level. And there's plenty of American uh, players that have, uh, that have gone over there, that have been in the MLS, you know, since Toronto FC have been in, in, uh, in the MLS. There's, there's American players that have gone over there in the championship and come back and failed. And, uh, you know, Kenny Cooper being one. And it's, it's, you know, a great credit to him. He's a great athlete. He's uh, fantastically fast. And he's got a great ability, great nose for the goal. I mean, I'm a Cardiff supporter, and Cardiff, uh, you know, are now in the playoffs as a result of Norwich, uh, you know, going up ahead of them. But, uh, you know, I'm absolutely delighted uh, for, for Norwich. And here's the other thing, too. they got a coach there, Paul Lambert, you know, that is uh, a ped- was a pedigree player in uh, Scotland, played in Germany as well, and again, has taken the absolute right approach. He's another Scottish coach. It's unbelievable how many great Scottish coaches there are. But, uh, you know, if you just look at his track record and what he's done, for himself as a, as a manager and coach to get up there and you look at his values and it's something like uh, uh, I think a third of their, of their goals have been scored in the 89th or, or above minute of the game so 89, 90 or, or into uh, overtime that they've scored the, the winning goal in, in, in a third of their games it's incredible and, and one of their players put it down to two things one their mentality and resilience have never given in and the second is their higher fitness level than anyone else I mean, you know, if that was a Canadian coach, if that was me preaching those those um, those traits, and maybe it's, maybe they, maybe we're turning the corner on those. But if I was to have preached that ten years ago, I'd have been laughed and, and chased out of the country here. And it it just goes to show the immaturity on our end, but the fact that Simeon Jackson has been in a fantastic environment, and we'll we'll be able to learn and understand that. And when you have those qualities in your management coach, and he shows that you can be successful and that you maximize your potential that way, that sticks in you forevermore. Just like when, you, um, when we chatted to, or you chatted to, uh, to Patrice Bernier. So um, I, I'm really excited about Simeon Jackson. He's another guy that's just in that, um, that is in that mold of the Patrice Berniers, the Josh Simpsons, the Atiba Hutchinsons. And I think Stephen Hart, you know, whether through uh, you know, serendipity or whether through you know, great scouting and great preparation on, on his part, but it's, I think it's a bit of both. But he's got a great you know, opportunity here to develop a group of players. But if you have the wrong ones in the mix, sending the wrong message, then it all comes tumbling down. And that's my point with Dwayne de Rosario. Dwayne de Rosario, I will stand by this, is that Dwayne de Rosario is a, is, is a great worker on the field. And his uh, current coach has uh, identified that, that. That there's no doubt. But it's not enough. And it definitely is not enough in, in Canada. We need the right mentality and in many ways, from 1986, sorry for, for going back a whole you know, generation, but in 1986, we, we've often traded in what were our quality traits there, which was great mentality, great fitness level, and a simple way of playing. We've, we, over the years, have traded those traits for, you know, for an overabundance, an overemphasis uh, on the technical aspect, which is fine, and we needed to do that, but not at the expense of those character traits. And there's been a shift all of a sudden, and the shift is coming because of the, the abundance of media in terms of highlighting the fact and not accepting the fact that we keep losing, 
and then the professionalization of the game in our country. And that is it's typified by the players that are coming through now, uh, Simeon Jackson being, uh, being a great one. It's a great question. To end off this episode of the Paul James on Soccer podcast, let's have you answer a few questions submitted by listeners. Lyle asks, as a follow-up to your comments about Julian on the last podcast, I'm curious about what Paul thinks regarding Julian being able to excel in top leagues like Germany and Spain, but not playing well in the MLS. The cliche is that the MLS is a really physical league, but I think there's a real truth to that cliche. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's a, in fact, it's a great question. I think, you know, maybe particularly relevant now with, with Julian, because I think everybody looks for, for answers and is sort of confused. And, and um, you know, again, I, I'll say it, you know, it's almost like I talk too much about Julian along the way. And, and you know, I'm happy that he played well, you know, um, the other day. I, I'm not sold on the fact that the MLS, how can the MLS be be uh, physically stronger than, than the Bundesliga or, or, or La Liga? I mean, I just don't... I don't buy that. When we talk about the physicality of the league here, what we really talk about, you know, it's still made up of the, the, the abundance of players in, in the MLS are made up from U.S. collegiate players. Whichever way you look at it, you know, the big draft comes through and, and you've got Americans on every single team and all the Canadian teams have, you know, abundance of American players. They all come from the collegiate system and the collegiate system is, is well-groomed with good coaches, but there's a big emphasis on the fitness preparation of players. And I think it's the physicality of it also means the it's not just about being physically tough and strong and physical in tackles and challenges. I would say that any league in Europe would, uh, would match the MLS for that. But it really is about the pace and agility um, of and the good athletic quality and traits of, uh, of MLS players. I think that comes through the collegiate system because that's how the coaches are groomed down there. They, they look for that, they scout that, and that's what they prepare and I think that shines through. And so, you know, I think we need to be careful also with uh, the fact of, you know, how Julian did in Europe. I think he did well in Europe, but I don't think it's how we we quite make it out that he was, uh, you know, a, a gold star over there. I mean, I remember speaking to Holger Osiak and said that he was a, a good, decent, solid performer in Hanover, but that was it. And so, you know, again, it's not being disrespectful with Julian. It's just about calling it as it is because... I think what we are in Canada, we're absolutely desperate for for the star type player to hang our hat on, to, to to attach our wagon to, so that we can go after and say and be excited about those players. It's just along the way, our expectations on some players, um, and some players have uh, an entourage of people that have for many years have been, you know, on the in those media chat sites and building up players and they've sort of got caught with their pants down now because I think it's, you can't hide. I mean, if Julian, Julian should be able to perform at the MLS level um, as, as what he was touted as a player. I don't think we can leverage the fact that it's uh, an over-physical league is the reason that Julian uh, can't perform. I do, I do believe that, that what, what is noticeable to me a decade ago, and even now as I watch, is that Julian is a confidence player for sure. And, and, and maybe lacks confidence that maybe other people haven't seen. And it's, it's, it's partly, I think, because of his upbringing in the game. But along the way, you see it time and time again. If, if, you, if you develop your players, if you de- develop your, your sons or daughters by always telling them how great they are, making excuses and blaming other people, blaming associations, blaming coaches when they fail then all that does is develop an, uh, a weakness in the character somewhere along the line that affects confidence. And I think maybe, and again, this is, I haven't been around you for such a long time, 
But I think maybe along the way that Julian has suffered from that a little bit, where he's he's trying to figure out, and you, I can see at times he's he lacks confidence, and it's it's even hard being a pundit, right? Because I know I'm definitely tough. I call it as it is. I don't think I'm, I'm necessarily right on everything, but it makes people think. I, I hope it makes people think what I say. And um, you know, I, I I believe for Julian that's that's a bigger part of it than um, than the actual the physicality of the league. I I believe physically that he struggles to keep up, but I don't think it should be any different to what the uh, the Bundesliga was or certainly. Uh, the Liga. I, I, I'll leave it as I'm glad that Julian did well the other day and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that uh, his season goes well. Chris Finley asks, Hey guys, big fan of the pod, just wondering, as one of the notable figures for the game in this country, I wanted Paul's thoughts on the poor turnout in the TFC Edmonton game at Commonwealth and his thoughts overall on the Neutralite Canadian Championship as a whole and what it can do to build the game in Canada. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a very... Um it, it's a tough one to answer, really, with the uh, with the crowd. I mean, outside getting forty thousand at Commonwealth Stadium, it's always going to look empty. So it was definitely noticeable. It was disappointing. Nigel Reed made uh, some good points in his thing on CBC website. I mean, wh- whichever way you look at it, it's it's early days in developing. We've got to start somewhere with the Neutralite uh, Canadian Championship. What I was excited about, quite frankly, was the fact that when you go to Vancouver. Uh, and Montreal go there, and there's still um, a, a very good turnout, almost at the MLS level. You know, it's uh, touching 20,000. Same at uh, Toronto, F- uh, Toronto FC, they had 18,000. I think that's a credit to those two cities. It's not to be disrespectful of Edmonton. I think Edmonton is going to take them a few years, but they do have this opportunity now. They, they need to get a small stadium, period, and I know they were talking about Foot Stadium that was going to be there. That needs to happen for sure. But, you know, you can't have it always. You can't be preaching in Alberta that, you know, we've got to be integrated and we've got to have games here. We've got a national team game and nobody turns up. You've got to really, you know, put your money where your mouth is and you've got to come out and support. I believe that would happen. I believe it would happen now in most areas of the country. If you have questions that you'd like Paul to address, please send your email to Paul James at rednationonline.ca.